Pregnancies are filled with uncertainty. What happens when a pregnant woman is diagnosed with preeclampsia? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Sharon E. Maynard, Assistant Professor, Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Dr. Maynard is one of the world's leaders in preeclampsia research and clinical care and joins us to talk about the signs, symptoms, and treatments of preeclampsia. Dr. Maynard, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much, Bruce. Glad to be here. So let's talk about preeclampsia. What exactly is it and what do we know? Well, Bruce, preeclampsia is a syndrome that is unique to pregnancy. Only pregnant women get it. And its clinical manifestations are manifested as elevation in blood pressure and protein in the urine in a woman who previously didn't have either of these things in the second half of her pregnancy. But the elevation in blood pressure and the protein in the urine are really just the tip of the iceberg so to speak, because preeclampsia is really a multi-system disorder that affects many different organs in the body. And the common thread that seems to tie all the manifestations of preeclampsia together is endothelial dysfunction. And this is just the blood vessels, blood vessels in many different organs of the body just do not seem to be functioning properly. What we see is hypertension and protein in the urine in the very early stages but really, the feared complications of preeclampsia occur when other organs of the body are affected in a serious way, such as the brain and the liver, for example. You said it occurs in the second half of pregnancy. Why is that? What is the triggering event? Do we know? Well, yeah, by definition, preeclampsia happens after 20 weeks, although rarely there are cases that have been described that look a lot like preeclampsia that can occur before 20 weeks. This is when it tends to be seen. For a long time, and, and really still today in many ways, it's, it's not really known exactly why it happens in the end of pregnancy, but for a few different reasons, it's been hypothesized that the placenta is really the source of the disease. Even though the target is the mom's endothelium, the endothelial cells throughout the mother's body, the source of the disease seems to be the placenta. And one reason we know this is that preeclampsia gets better in the vast majority of cases when the placenta is delivered and the placenta is removed. So in that sense, it makes sense that preeclampsia may happen in the second half of pregnancy because it's really at this point that the placenta is growing larger and larger and has a much more dominant hormonal effect on the mom's system. Are there effects on the fetus at the same time? The fetus definitely is affected by preeclampsia, and this can be in several different ways. Many women with preeclampsia have intrauterine growth restriction, IUGR, which can lead to very small for gestational age babies. And that's thought to be due to really inadequate vascular development in the placenta. Because of changes in the placenta, the developing fetus just isn't getting enough nutrients and oxygen, so ends up smaller than usual. It's not present in all cases of preeclampsia, but it's very common. Placental abruption can occur, and that's a condition where the placenta actually detaches from the wall of the uterus completely while the baby is still in utero. And as you might imagine, that can be devastating for the baby and often can lead to fetal death. But probably the most common adverse complication for the fetus and the neonate is the fact that the only good treatment we have for preeclampsia right now is to 
deliver the baby. That's the only thing we can really offer the mom to cure her if if her disease is, is getting worse. And so that leads to prematurity and all of the sequelae that come from, in some cases, very severe, very early prematurity. So after the fetus is delivered, do they have long-term complications from having been a baby of a mother with preeclampsia? For the babies or for the moms? Let's start with the babies. So the long-term consequences for the babies are usually those that are related directly to the prematurity itself rather than preeclampsia in any specific way. So obviously babies are delivered preterm for a whole variety of reasons. And, you know, I'm not a neonatologist or a pediatrician, but definitely when babies are delivered before a certain gestational age, 26 to 28 weeks, they're at risk for, you know, poor development of the lungs, in some cases, intraventricular hemorrhage. There are a whole series of complications that can happen to the neonates because of their early delivery. And in some cases, those can have long-term consequences for the children, developmental problems, blindness, all different kinds of things. For the moms, it's actually an interesting and really still developing story about what the long-term consequences are for the mothers. It's well known that if a woman has preeclampsia once, she is at higher risk for developing it again in a future pregnancy. But other than that, we used to reassure women that once preeclampsia was over and the baby was delivered, their recovery would be complete and they really wouldn't have any long-term consequences at all. But it's becoming very clear now through epidemiologic studies that that's just not true. In the immediate postpartum period, the proteinuria and the hypertension and all of the other serious manifestations of preeclampsia do appear to resolve completely. But over the long term, over 5, 10, 15 years, it's clear now that women who have had preeclampsia have a significantly higher risk, not just of developing chronic hypertension, but also coronary artery disease, stroke, and in fact, a, you know, a recent meta-analysis that just came out in November, which brings together data from several dozen studies, suggests that they have an increased risk of death within the 15 years following an episode of preeclampsia, about a 1.5-fold relative risk, mortality risk. And have we done the research to find out whether there's a cause and effect relationship, or is it just something that these women have going on with them that maybe also causes the preeclampsia? Do we know? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the question. And as you might imagine, that's a really difficult question to answer. In fact, almost impossible to answer that through just epidemiologic or observational studies alone. Really, the question being, well, did these women just have risk factors prior to their preeclampsia, subclinical risk factors, risk factors that are present, let's say, a genetic predisposition toward the development of hypertension later in life, some sort of risk factor that predisposes them both to preeclampsia and to increased vascular disease later in life, or is there a direct cause effect? Is the preeclampsia itself somehow changing their body in such a way that it's causing damage that just takes many, many years to manifest? Unfortunately, it's unclear how you would design a study to really get at that answer. Right now, it's just conjecture, which of the two it might be. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sharon Maynard, Assistant Professor, Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., about the signs, symptoms, and treatments of preeclampsia. So, Dr. Maynard, how frequently does preeclampsia occur? Well, preeclampsia affects about 5% of all pregnancies. The incidence of preeclampsia is really not evenly distributed across all pregnant women. 
historically and still today, preeclampsia is primarily a disease of first pregnancies. So a woman who has had a first pregnancy and did not get preeclampsia actually has a very low risk of getting preeclampsia again in subsequent pregnancies. If a woman does have preeclampsia in her first pregnancy, however, she is at somewhat increased risk of getting it again in subsequent pregnancies. The other thing that can affect women's risk of preeclampsia are other risk factors that are really familiar to us from the cardiovascular disease arena, risk factors like diabetes, chronic hypertension, kidney disease, and even obesity and insulin resistance and uh, those types of things, kind of more, more subtle variations of those same things are risk factors for preeclampsia. Is there an age or a race predisposition to this? You know, it's been controversial whether very young women, teen pregnancies, for example, or very older women, advanced maternal age, which is over age 35 when you're talking about pregnancy, whether those might be risk factors for preeclampsia. The, the evidence for that is pretty weak. If advanced maternal age is, in fact, a risk factor, it's probably not a risk factor in and of itself. It's just that as women are postponing pregnancy longer and longer, uh, they're more likely to carry these other risk factors for preeclampsia, such as chronic hypertension, diabetes, obesity. So probably not age in and of itself. There does not seem to be a racial predisposition for preeclampsia either, although racial minorities such as African Americans and uh, Hispanics, when they do get preeclampsia, seem to fare worse. They seem to have a higher incidence of complications from preeclampsia, but the data is a bit mixed on that. Is there a genetic basis or a familial link for preeclampsia? There definitely is a familial component. If a woman has a first-degree relative, so a mother or a sister, who has had preeclampsia, her risk of preeclampsia is definitely increased, about two to fourfold over what it would be otherwise. Interestingly enough, the familial predisposition seems to come from both sides. So if a woman's partner has a first-degree relative who's had preeclampsia. If the dad of, of the developing baby has a family member with preeclampsia, that actually increases the risk for preeclampsia in, in that pregnancy as well. So that really tells us the placenta or the fetus as much as the mom. But unfortunately, we really have not identified a single gene. It certainly does not seem to be any clear single gene Mendelian inheritance pattern. Probably it's a polygenetic, multiple genes that contribute to preeclampsia risk, kind of like we see with, you know, with the familial tendency of diabetes and, and many cancers and that type of thing. So do we think that there is an immune response component to this or some other reaction that the mother has? You know, that's a really interesting and, and also very controversial area of debate, you know, in those who spend their time thinking about the pathogenesis of preeclampsia. The answer is probably yes, but we've really not figured out exactly what or why yet. As you might imagine, you know, the placenta and the mom, they need to learn to tolerate each other in a way that doesn't typically happen. The placenta actually invades the maternal uterus and the blood vessels of the maternal uterus. And the fetal genes and the fetal antigens are, in some cases, some of those that the mom has never seen before. So there has to be a really extraordinary tolerance that's going on at the maternal-fetal interface. And some theorize that there's a failure or a partial failure of that immune tolerance at the maternal-fetal interface. In some sense, a, you know, a, a mom's rejection of the placenta the way the body might reject an organ transplant. Obviously not complete rejection, but a partial failure of immune tolerance, and that that might be 
a triggering event that eventually leads to preeclampsia. And there are some changes, you know, in the placenta and preeclampsia in immune function and immune cells. But, you know, this is an area of, you know, of research and we certainly haven't figured it out yet. Preeclampsia can be a deadly condition of pregnancy for both the mother and the fetus. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sharon Maynard, Assistant Professor, Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension, George Washington University in Washington, D.C., for joining us to talk about the signs, symptoms, and treatments of preeclampsia. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.